Will you pray with me? Oh God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So is anybody going to watch the Super Bowl today? Yeah. few people? I had a feeling there were some fans out here. Now, I'm guessing from the brightness of most people's red that you're rooting for the Chiefs. But I don't know, is anybody brave enough to say they're a 49ers fan? Nobody, right. I wouldn't admit it either. Not, 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 in, not in Kansas, right? So I'll have to admit that I'm not really much of a football fan. I haven't watched the Super Bowl in a long time. But when I was in high school, I always used to go to the Super Bowl parties, right? Because of course, that was the thing. We'd all get together, we had a fun time, and at least I always thought, at least the commercials are interesting, right? They always have the best commercials during the Super Bowl. But I want to just think about for a moment what happens when we watch a sporting event, whether it's the Super Bowl, football, basketball, your kid's game, whatever it is. What happens in our bodies when we watch a sporting event? They're involved, right? Even when we're not playing. There's points at which we might just be, if we're at home watching it on TV, we might just be lounging on the couch, relaxing while we're watching. But then when it gets really good, right, what do we do? We're, we're scooting forward on our seat, right? If it's, uh, you know, a bad call, we're going to yell at that referee, the umpire, we're going to correct them, right? We're going we're gonna to give praise when there's a good pass. If things are really tense, we might be practically like off the edge of our seat, like crouching down, right? I mean, this is like an exercise in and of itself, right? Here we are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? Whatever we say, when it's a good play, what do we do? Yeah! I mean, we're off that couch, right? Nobody told us to, we just do it. Like our bodies do it, the emotion comes out. I've seen people run around the room yelling, right? When good things happen in sports games. Any of you done that? I can't admit to that myself, but. <laughs> you know, if you're not a sports fan, you might be able to relate to this in the form of musical entertainment, right? I mean, during the halftime show, really, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira, how many people are gonna be in their living room singing, dancing, arms around each other, swaying? Oh yeah, there's some of you out there. Certainly the crowd in the stadium is gonna be into that, right? And our bodies, they know how to express the emotions that we feel in our hearts. There's a book called Praying with Your Body and Soul by Reverend Jane Bernard, and she says that our bodies already know how to pray. And we teach our bodies traditional prayer postures, things like, right, we say this to the children too, like, let's fold our hands or hold hands with one another, close our eyes, bow our heads, and we take this posture in prayer so often. And that's a good prayer posture, but it's not the only one. And this, this particular one may or may not be the prayer posture that works for us in any given moment for expressing the emotion in our hearts and the conversation that we need to have with God. Instead, Bernard challenges us to let our bodies teach us how to pray. So I want to share a definition of prayer from Bernard. She says, prayer has become for me the practice of bringing all of who I have been, all of who I am, and all of who I am becoming into relationship with God. When I bring all of myself to God, I am praying with body and soul. You know, I 
think we actually sometimes have this faulty notion that, that God is only present with us or God is only listening to us when we somehow pick up the phone and call God or when we initiate that presence. But this makes our prayer life dependent upon our ability to stay present with God or to remain engaged in a community of faith. And in actuality, it is God who is calling us. That God is always present with us. God never moves far away. God is always there desiring relationship and intimacy with us. And in prayer, we have the opportunity to respond to God's call. To pick up the phone when it rings and to say hello. And there's God on the other end saying, hey, it's me. And we simply lean into that relationship that God initiates with us. Now, when we talk about relationship with God, we have to consider who we understand God to be because how we define God will define who we cultivate relationship with in prayer and how we do it. So if we understand God to be out there somewhere totally separate from ourselves, then we will most likely work on building relationship with others who are out there somewhere when we want to work on relationship with God. If we believe that God dwells within us, then we will work on loving ourselves when we want to work on relationship with God. If we understand that God is present in our siblings and our neighbors, then we'll work on making right relationships with those who are closest to us. If we believe that God is present in Jesus, then we'll talk, on, we'll talk about relationship with God as we work on our relationship with Jesus. And if we believe that God is present in the universe or in creation, then we'll dedicate that relational energy to caring for all living things. And if we understand God to be present in all of these things, and yet not fully defined by any one of them, then our spiritual life and our prayer life will be about relating to God in all of these ways, in many ways. In this series, we're going to talk about, and today in particular, we're going to talk about praying with the body and soul using Christian language and scripture because that's our religious tradition here at Chung. But praying with our bodies and souls actually transcends any particular religious system. All theistic religions speak of this sense of longing for God. And even non-theistic belief systems and non-theistic religions speak of longing for peaceful and loving relationships with oneself and one's neighbor and creation. And so during this series, as we explore different ways of praying with body and soul, my hope is that you will be moved to deepen your own experience of all that is holy and all that is sacred. So for us to begin to embody prayer and let our bodies teach us how to pray, I think one of the first steps is to kind of free ourselves from taking on only the typical prayer posture in our prayer. Because when you really think about it, when you are there crouching in midair, your arms close to your chest, you are praying. And when you are leaping up so excited, yes, that's a prayer with your body. 
And when you are curled up in a ball and you are pulling the blanket over your head, that's a prayer posture, right? You are seeking comfort. Our bodies already know how to pray. And the posture that our body is in while we pray can affect our experience of that prayer, but so can, right, the emotions inside of us can affect the, bo- the, the posture our body takes if we let them. And one way that we can learn from our bodies in prayer is to try to move them in different ways while we pray. And so uh, this week I'm going to put in the, in the newsletter um, kind of an exercise that you can try out if you want to try a different posture in prayer in your own prayer life this week. But in addition to, to trying that, you could, you could just try taking your pulse pondering the amazing ways that the organs in your body work together to sustain your life, the way that your heart just keeps beating. It doesn't stop. You can sit still, breathe deeply, remembering the ways that the Spirit animates life. Another thing we can try is to pray Scripture with our bodies as a way of reading it from the inside out. You know, often when we read scripture, we kind of read it from what we would call the outside in. We read it in the sense that we want to understand it, we dissect it, we pick it apart, we ask it questions, we look up words, we look up other verses, we learn about the historical context. Methodists are really good at those kinds of things. We'll see if that same story is somewhere else in the Bible, and is it the same, or is it different, and why? These are good things to do. I highly encourage you to read your Bible this way. And it is not the only way for God to speak to us through Scripture. There are other ways to read Scripture where we simply put ourselves into the story and we experience the text. And in this form of prayer, we are no longer questioning the text or demanding answers from it. But rather, we are embodying it. We are sharing in its movements. We are letting our bodies channel its emotions. And we read the story of the bent-over woman this morning with our words. But what if we read it with our bodies? We will ask different questions. You see in that story, the the picture that is painted is that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and presumably there's a large crowd of people there. And the Gospel of Luke says that just then a woman appeared, and the woman stood out because she was bent over, and she was quite unable to stand up straight. And so we have to begin to ask questions like, what did that feel like in her body to be bent over, doubled over like that? Right? I mean, surely her back must have been aching. Surely her her neck must have had a cramp in it from trying to look up and see the people. Be able to look at their eyes. I mean, what did her lungs feel like all scrunched up like that for 18 years, right? And in those 18 years, did she begin to get tired of, of people turning and staring at her? Which inevitably happened probably every time. She went out. Did she begin to grow tired of always having to make adjustments and adaptations to doing things, to cooking, to laundry, because of her stature and living in a world that was not built 
for someone who was bent over. What was it that she could see, right? What was it that she could see? She could see the ground. She must have noticed things that other people didn't, things like the crumbs in the corner or certain patterns on the ground. Maybe she saw the flowers so much more clearly than other people. She must have spent so much time staring down at people's feet. And what were the emotions that she carried in her heart? Was she weary? Was she angry? Did she feel hopeless? Had she come to a place of acceptance? And then somehow Jesus sees her in the crowd, and instead of coming to her, he calls her over. He calls her over, and so she, she goes to where Jesus is standing. And when he lays his hands on her, she stands up straight. Right? She stands up straight and she begins praising God. And there is this posture of praise, the arms lifted, the gaze lifted. This is a prayer with her body. What a difference that makes. My friends, we are embodied people. And there is no other way for us to live in this world other than to live inside these bodies. Every body is different. We all have gifts through our bodies, and we all have limitations because of our bodies. But there is no way to live a human life without skin on this shell of a body. We are not just souls, and we are not just bodies. And it is indeed the way that the Spirit animates the body that makes us human beings. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are a temple for God, that they're a dwelling place for God. And even with this spiritual wisdom, we often have ambivalent relationships with our bodies. We often treat them as if they are burdens rather than gifts from God. The history of Christian theology hasn't helped this notion either, nor have some of Paul's writings. The body and the desires of the body are sometimes painted as sinful or something that we need to reject. And our culture sends us messages of what a perfect body looks like, and that ends up distorting our view of our own body. And it can also feel like our bodies betray us sometimes. As years pass and we age, our bodies may be weaker or less stable than they were before. Or due to genetic or environmental factors or some other reason, our bodies may be diagnosed with a chronic disease that changes our daily lives. Perhaps through choices and actions of others, our bodies may have been physically or sexually abused, and we feel those emotional wounds. There are other ways that our bodies betray us. We lose a pregnancy, we struggle with an eating disorder, or we are injured in an act of violence. 
And yet think about all of the gifts that your body gives you every day. It tells you when you are hungry so you can eat and be nourished. It reminds you when you are tired and it's time to take some rest so that not only your brain can grow, but did you know that's when your body grows too? Especially when you're young, in those young years. Children grow in their sleep. Our bodies carry our stress and our tension for us. Sometimes they absorb our emotions. They allow us to move in various ways. And whether we can walk or not, it is our bodies that carry us from place to place. Praying with our bodies and our souls helps us find a balance between the two extremes of of worshiping the body and rejecting the body. Because our bodies give our souls a a dwelling place on this earth just as much as they give God a dwelling place. And so it's as if we can develop a friendship with our bodies, give them grace when they are in pain and when they fail us by not being able to do what we want them to do. It means that we appreciate them, we take care of them, and we embrace them as good. I think there's nothing like communion to remind us that Christianity is a religion of the body. In fact, our central narrative focuses on the incarnation, the way that God took on a human body and the person of Jesus to live among us, to show us what it means to live in relationship with God, in relationship with others, and in relationship with ourselves. As we come to this table today, we come as people who have bodies. And so the invitation today is to participate in the communion liturgy with all of who you are, including your body. And so I want to invite you to begin just by taking a few deep breaths. Find a comfortable way to sit in your seat that might be crossing your legs or uncrossing your legs, shifting your weight, shrugging your shoulders, turning your head. You might close your eyes. And then cup one hand in front of you, like you're ready to receive something. And then, as we come so often to the table in a posture of confession, I want you to imagine those sins that you might name to confess today. Imagine them kind of floating in front of you. And then use your other hand to to pick each one of those things and to place it in your hand that you had left open and cupped, waiting to receive. And when you are finished, make your cupped hand into a fist and squeeze it tightly Hold it closed as tightly as you can. 
and remember and give thanks that it is by the power of Jesus Christ in our lives that our sins are forgiven. This is a gift. And so then imagine Jesus coming to you and ever so slowly prying open the fingers on your fist as you let your hand relax. And imagine Jesus scooping up those sins that you confessed and taking them away. Take another deep breath. Smile. And pray silently in your head, glory to God. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and look around to the people around you. Let us remember that Jesus gathered with his disciples. He gathered with a group of friends that became like family. Look at the people you're sitting by. Whether you're related to them or not, this is your church family. Here we are together on this journey. And in the midst of that familiar meal, Jesus did a new thing. And so you're invited to pretend like you're picking up a piece of bread, too. Hold it out in front of you. And then lift it up. And then use your hands to break it, as Jesus did. And then you know what he did? He gave it to the people around him. So pretend like you're giving bread to everybody you're close to. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And every time you do it, remember me. Every time you eat this meal. In the same way, when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup. Pick up your cup. And Jesus lifted it up and he gave thanks to God. And then he gave it to the people around him. Share your cup. He gave it to the disciples. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon each person gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and fruit of the vine. Make them be for us a meal that sustains us and nourishes our bodies as we pray and live and serve you. By your Holy Spirit, O oh God, make us one. Make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Amen. I want to invite those who are serving this morning to come forward. And as we come forward to receive communion today, I want to invite you to remember that Christ's body was broken. Christ's body was broken. And I want to invite you to think about your own body as you stand up out of the pew and as you, you come forward, as you put your hands out and you receive the bread and cup. Remember the ways that your own body is broken. The ways that your body has betrayed you. Remember the ways that your body is whole. Remember the ways that you care for your body, the ways that you might 
neglect it. And then remember that your body is a dwelling place for God. It is a dwelling place for your own soul. And consider how you might allow your body to teach you how 